Thank you for listening to the Akuo Church Podcast. We exist so that people will be in community with Jesus and one another. We'll do that by listening to God, loving people, learning our purpose, and linking to our community. From wherever you are listening, welcome to the community. We hope you enjoy the message. Akuo, it is so awesome to be spending time with you once again. Y'all, I'm always just so happy to be involved in these conversations that we were having based on the word that God gave us to live out this year, which is ready. And the idea behind it is something that I know that you know about if you've spent any time with us this year, is that we are ready right now as currently constructed. Not something new, not like waiting on a thing. We are ready right now to make an impact on this world. We're ready to listen to God, love people, learn our purpose, and link to our community. And in this sermon series that we're in right now, we've been looking at what a second nature is. How we can do all these things by leaning on what Jesus has asked us to do, which is develop a second nature, his nature, the nature of Jesus, which I know we're all ready for. We're ready to continue to take these steps to develop the nature of Jesus. And today, we have a special guest joining us to deliver the message. This week, we have Pastor Caleb Sines joining us from the Garden Church. And what's really exciting is that the Garden is going to be planting their church in September of this year in the Medical Center area. And Caleb, y'all, he's the perfect person for the job. Of course, he's like a great theologian, right? Which you would hope for as a pastor, but he's also a talented worship leader. Look him up on Spotify, an accomplished graphic artist, and even has time to keep up with the Spurs and the NBA in general. So with that being said, I can tell you that I completely trust him to bring you a great message today. So without further ado, here's Caleb Sines. You know that feeling when you recognize that something doesn't belong? Uh, one of my favorite moments all year. I listen to Spotify all the time. And if you're a Spotify user, you know, at the end of the year, Spotify wrapped is where they take everything you listen to and tell you who you are. It's where I find out how sad I actually am. Uh, and my wife and I, we got our Spotify wrapped at the same time. Mine has all these like obscure bands nobody actually likes. And hers, she's got like the Beach Boys, the Beatles. It's coming up to the number one song. And up pops uh, the Minions uh, singing YMCA. That was her number one song, clearly standing out because our kids take over her aux cord. But we know this feeling of when something doesn't belong. If you're an NBA watcher, one of my favorite things to see is when an opposing player enters the huddle of the other team and it kind of takes a while for them to notice. We see that, it sticks out, this doesn't belong. Maybe you know the feeling of being what doesn't belong. Uh, this weekend, if you care about these things, the Barbie movie's coming out. And I was talking with Abel before the sermon about what does it look like to feel like you don't belong. Uh, my wife invited me to attend a screening of Barbie with her and her friends. I said, no thank you. We know what it means to not belong, whether because we're unprepared or we feel uh, unqualified to be in the group. Maybe you had this experience the first time stepping into church. All of this speaks to a very real fear because inside we know the yearning of belonging. We want to know what it means to step into a place with the people and experience what it means to be known and to be right where we're supposed to be. Now, I'm going to assume that because you're listening to this, there is some part of you that is at least exploring or wondering what it means to belong to Jesus, to belong with Jesus. You know what it feels like to be lost or to be broken, to need hope or healing. And you understand, maybe even implicitly, that this is what he offers to those who walk with him. At its base level, this is what a church is. 
people who need the love, the hope, the healing, the joy of Jesus, and believe, sometimes through great difficulty, that there is no better place to belong than with him. Now, who or what belongs to Jesus? How can we know if we belong to Jesus? How can we know if we're with Jesus? These are the questions of needy people, people like you, people like me, and they're the questions Jesus answers throughout his Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you've been following along with Akuo, you're familiar with some of what Jesus has covered so far. He began with a description of the character of those people who belong to his kingdom. Jesus really liked that phrase, the kingdom of heaven, and I like it too. It speaks right to the heart of belonging, to that yearning we all have, a place for us to be with him, a place to enjoy forever. And the people of this place Jesus calls blessed at the start of this sermon. And these he defines chiefly by need, the hurting, the hungry, the poor, the persecuted, the meek, the merciful. Now I love alliteration, but these are actually his words. And after casting that net, Jesus moves to a discussion of the requirements for this kingdom of heaven. He makes clear that what we do doesn't earn a place with him, but he also emphasizes that belonging comes with some responsibilities. There are moral and ethical realities to our belonging with him. How we live matters. And thankfully, these aren't issues of like socially determined value or worth. Jesus isn't interested in the size of our paychecks or our impact as influencers, our marital status, as much as he is interested in righteousness or faithfulness to the way of God, how we're kind to others, how we steward what we have, however much or little that is, belonging comes with responsibilities. And while they're serious concerns for Jesus, they're the kind of things that any of us can do, the kind of things we often don't like to do though. Kindness and faithfulness can be easy with the right people or in the right situations, but life is rarely ideal. And that's the hard part. Jesus is after that exact thing, life, all of it. He invites every part of us to belong with him because all of life belongs to him. Everything that is good, true, holy, pure, righteous, faithful, love itself, peace and hope, kindness and gentleness, all of it belongs to Jesus because he is the place from which it comes to us. So it's fitting then that Jesus ends his Sermon on the Mount with a series of warnings. He opened the sermon with a description of who belongs. He moves to a discussion of what it looks like to belong. And here in Matthew 7, Jesus aims to show us what it looks like to reject belonging. As wild as it seems, there are many who would deny Jesus's invitation. The words of this warning, they certainly seem harsh, but they come from grace. We want to belong. How can we be sure we do? Who or what belongs to Jesus? Here's what he says in Matthew 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Jesus is speaking here first to outsiders who don't belong, people who are trying to break into the kingdom of heaven. Now in this day and context, prophets were more than just predictors of the future. They claimed to be holy messengers, to know the way and the words of God. They carried themselves with authority as bearers of truth, now, prophecy has always been a welcomed and effective gift to God's people. And in some ways, Jesus' Jesus's words here are themselves prophetic, as the presence of prophecy among the community of his followers would only grow after his death and resurrection and the establishment of his church. Now, the trouble comes, Jesus is saying, when these people who present themselves as holy and authoritative are actually hiding a secret identity. He's warning those who would belong in his kingdom then and now that there is a very real threat presented by imposters. 
The problem posed by false prophets runs throughout scripture. We see it in the Old Testament a lot. Most often, like particularly in the book of Jeremiah, if you read it, these are people who present false comfort and false hope to God's people. In a kingdom, a community that gathers the lost and the hurting and the broken, the worst threat is false hope. People are craving the kind of truth that cuts through the fog of life and its struggles. And the people who offer it most eloquently or loudest often gain large audiences very quickly. This is why Jesus calls them wolves. Now in nature, if you've ever watched a nature documentary, wolves go after large groups or herds and they wait for the weakest members to make a mistake. They stalk from the shadows, blend in with their surroundings, and they take their time to prey on the vulnerable with patience before attacking with stunning speed and ferocity. Whether for status or for power or glory, these false prophets Jesus is warning about build a kingdom of their own by taking advantage of disciples, followers of Jesus, with the same kind of hunting strategy. People are after truth. They wanna know what life means, which direction to go, where to turn in confusion or pain, and they're desperate for answers. This is why in our day, conspiracy theories are so tempting. They offer a sense of order to life. They provide the security of certainty, but none of these conspiracies actually offer hope. As we've seen, they usually breed the opposite, panic, chaos, violence. Real truth doesn't come to us like that, like a wolf. It doesn't show up to take advantage. It comes to us in weakness. It comes to us as a wounded, suffering savior. Truth belongs to Jesus. As we've seen throughout his Sermon on the Mount, and we'll see as we continue, truth, truth itself, comes not to prey on us, but to protect us, to welcome us and keep us in its care. Jesus' warning carries a sense of urgency. He's acknowledging here the value of what is shared in his kingdom. He knows that there is a sacred, even delicate nature to belonging with him as we navigate life, and that the community built with him and around him will require of us discernment and protection. Danger has to be avoided together, just as truth is carried together. We need truth and Jesus alone can give it to us. Okay, so it's one thing to hear and to have truth. But these wolves Jesus is talking about, they're wearing disguises. And I know sheep and wolves, they're very different, but apparently these disguises are pretty convincing. So the threat sounds not just urgent, but scary. There are imposters among us. I'm thinking of the movie Alien, like which one of us has it? The call is coming from inside the house. We know the feeling of imposters among us. Jesus warns us about the threat of false prophets, outsiders trying to break in and break apart his kingdom. And after describing this threat, he offers us a test. Truth belongs to Jesus, and here's how to spot the difference, and it's surprisingly really easy. He continues in verse 16. You will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorns or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will know them by their fruits. In his commentary on Matthew, R.T. France points out that the Old Testament gives us some tests for prophets. There's a historical test, like does what they predict actually come true? There's a theological test. Do their words lead people to follow God or idols? But there's a third test, one that Jesus is pointing to here. It's an ethical test. Do the lives of these prophets reflect the character of who they claim to worship? This is a test not just for prophets, but for anybody who would claim to know the truth and belong in the kingdom of heaven that Jesus brings to us. 
It has broader implications. It applies not just to these self-proclaimed prophets, but to followers of Jesus as well. After all, we carry the words of Jesus that we've heard, just like prophets claim to. We understand that to follow him is also to represent him. Now, we might avoid predicting the future and, and therefore be exempt from the historical or theological tests I just mentioned, but the ethical test is one that everybody who belongs to Jesus or claims to must face. Do we belong here? Now that's an existential question as much as it is one for a community to ask. How do I know that I'm on the right path? How do I know that I'm with Jesus? We'll be tempted to answer these questions with the kind of certainty that comes from performance or productivity. Am I earning this place? Am I doing what is necessary to hold my spot? These are questions of scarcity and insecurity. They actually put us at the center of the kingdom of God's gravity. To ask and answer this way is to make ourselves false prophets prophets because it's to make ourselves the truth. And that's a burden we can't bear. At a certain point, and usually in the course of a life at many points, each of us will be confronted with the painful reality that we don't hold our life together. Our compasses are often broken. We exaggerate our abilities. We are clumsier than we anticipate. We can't see very far ahead of us. We are poor foundations for truth. This is why what Jesus is showing us here is so gracious. What he says is that the real test of belonging is not a matter of what we make, but of what is made in us. The use of fruits here is instructive. Jesus knows we want to belong and to flourish, that we wanna grow with purpose. He knows we were made to desire life to the fullest, and he's offering it with one key condition. You have to be planted and rooted in him. Now, false prophets may make convincing claims to the truth, but they can't fake fruit. Their words and counsel will always lead to divisiveness, bitterness, sin, destruction. They'll never be able to produce the life of Christ, the life we yearn for, because they are corrupted. The rotten fruit that Jesus describes that we eventually see on the ground beneath them, it points to something that has been festering for much longer than we've noticed. Sickness starts in the roots. Now, followers of Christ are meant to be different. We're called to bear goodness, the kind that isn't for us as much as it is for the world around us. It's fruit that blesses, that nourishes, and we are called to bear this fruit, not out of our own power or invention, not out of our giving, but out of our openness, our receiving. We know this because those good fruits that Jesus is talking about, they would have looked very familiar to anyone who had encountered or heard about his ministry. They would have seen these fruits on full display in his words and in his works and in his countenance and his relationships too. Jesus showed people what goodness looks like in everything that he did. And that's the kind of fruit we're called not just to enjoy in belonging with him, but to bear as he does for the world around us. I like how one commentator I read put it, to bear fruit means simply to reproduce what has been sown. In other words, we bear the fruit of where we're planted. It's an unavoidable reality of living and being in the world. You may not see the roots underground, but you'll always see them in the branches above. Because in the end, like truth, goodness belongs to Jesus. He has an exclusive claim to it. He's the truth we crave and he's the life we long to live. The good fruit is his to bear out in us. It is birthed from a transformed center. And if we're not connected to him at the deepest parts of who we are, the places people can't see, the spaces where our real identity hides, will never truly know the joy of belonging. One quick thing here that uh, D.A. Carson has noted, I really like this, fruit bearing takes time. And that's another reason why false prophets can be so tempting to us. 
they offer a fake shortcut. They claim to know the path to the kind of growth we imagine is better for us, the quick and easy kind, the kind that doesn't actually exist. Like what if you could get the life you crave, build the home you've always wanted in half the time it would take anybody else? Now we know that temptation, I think. Now our false prophets don't look like men in robes, carrying staffs or, or who are bearded and bellowing strangers walking through the doors of our church. They look more like influencers who wanna help you life hack your faith, who want to invite you into the kind of space where you can look like someone who belongs, clothed in all the trappings of an insider and all the effectiveness and productivity without the inner work that actually produces real fruit. So I think the fruit analogy is helpful. It reminds us to be observant and vigilant it keeps us from judging others right away, even if we might harbor suspicions. But most of all, it pushes us to remain connected to the Word of God so we can recognize not just His statements, but His Spirit too. It drives us to seek out wisdom and discernment, to keep watch and vigilance, and to do this consistently. Fruit analyzing isn't just for other people. We're not just examining neighbors in our community of belonging. We're meant to examine ourselves over a lifetime of being and belonging with Jesus. And right when we think that Jesus is speaking to somebody else after we've gone through the list of names uh, in our heads who really need to hear this, I know you have that list, I do too, we get to the end of this passage and the warning lands at our front door. This is why Jesus finishes here with a discussion about heaven. Abiding with him, belonging with him is no momentary thing. The place he makes for his people is a forever home. He saves his harshest words for this part of the warning in order to communicate the urgency and the scope of what's at stake. Here's what he says in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you who behave lawlessly. Now the word Lord here had important connotations in Jesus's day. We hear it now as like a statement of divinity. Very few people now are called Lord. But back then it was more common to hear as a reference to someone's authority. It wasn't like a theological term as much as it was a social or political one. It was a title that carried dignity and included within it power to rule and to judge. That it means more to us on this side of Jesus's resurrection isn't surprising. Like everything Jesus said would point to the work of the cross and the hope of the empty tomb. But even at this time in history, people would have understood what Jesus was saying to them. It's easy to call Jesus a leader. It's a lot harder to follow him. This is the part of Jesus's message that is always hardest to accept. That there would be an accounting for the gift of grace is a hard thing to wrap our hearts around. We'd much rather believe that our duty in belonging in the kingdom is to recount what we observe in scripture as if we're on the stand in some big public trial. What will reach people is the eloquence of our words, we think, or the effectiveness of our arguments. But Jesus says it isn't enough to look like a tree. We have to actually be a tree. Stanley Hauerwas says, a great commentator, says no account of the truthfulness of Christian belief can be abstracted from how lives are lived. Fruit bearing isn't a one-time box to check. We have to stay watered. We have to show we are still abiding with Jesus, planted at his waters, not as like a static display of love as a picture, but as a living, breathing, growing demonstration of it. 
This is why Jesus finishes here talking about the futility of working to live in proximity and not learning to live in presence. Miracles can be faked. Even the worst prophets can make vague statements that sort of come true. Sometimes the doTERRA you have at home really does heal you. But none of these things can substitute for a life of personal discipleship. The measure of truth and the proof of goodness comes only from our relationship with God, a relationship that looks like a daily willingness to follow his direction and example. This is why he talks here about the will of the Father. What looks great in our actions can deceive, and it often does. We live filtered, curated lives, but God sees our heart. He knows what our roots look like. And his will is that we would acknowledge our need and discover provision through obedience. Because in a life full of promising activity, the kind that can fill our days and schedules with busyness, the only action that actually speaks louder to Jesus than our words is faithfulness. It's obedience. That's the fruit of belonging, and those who belong abide. They follow. So we know that truth belongs to Jesus, goodness belongs to Jesus, and in the end, the obedient belong to Jesus too. Now Jesus finishes here with a scary thought, rejection. I never knew you, he says, go away from me, you who behave lawlessly. Disobedience has become disqualification. We don't belong, and Jesus says, he never knew us. That word know here is a word that means more than knowledge about us. God doesn't know us like we know something after studying it in a Wikipedia article. He knows us intimately. And this kind of knowing that Jesus offers and here uh, we reject, or the people he's discussing reject, is the kind of knowing that those in deep relationship with one another share. It's a knowledge that is affirmed, exchanged, requited. Jesus knows what we need, what we crave, what we try to build our lives chasing. He's shown us truth, he's shown us the goodness of life, and now he shows us the way and offers it in dying for our sins, in claiming victory over the wolves. To live another way than his will is to reject relationship. It's to turn away from his love. And to do this internally while trying to produce fruit or fake it is the ultimate insult. It's no wonder these people don't make it through the gates of the kingdom of heaven. But this isn't the end. Jesus is gracious and kind, even beyond our understanding. We know in scripture, Peter denies knowing Jesus three times and still becomes one of the most important figures in our faith. There's a phrase Jesus uses elsewhere in Matthew in relation to what he's talking about here. In his frustration earlier on in his ministry with another group of people who claimed to keep and represent the words and the ways of God, the Pharisees, he chides them for living disconnected lives, like he calls them a brood of vipers. And he tells them that the only life that endures is one that bears the fruit of repentance. See, Jesus isn't looking for perfection achieved. That's what he does. He's looking for obedience, for faithfulness. And for those of us who hear his warning and pause enough to ponder it, it's clear that we don't always bear good fruit. It's clear that we can accept false truths. It's clear that root rot can set in in ways nobody else would notice or know but us and God. Jesus sees all of that. And he stands at the gates of the kingdom of heaven. He holds them open for us. And he asks not for our power or for our influence, for our ingenuity or our performance. He simply asks for our trust, for us to respond to his love and willingness. Now, as we close, I wanna finish with some words from Psalm 139. And as you listen, I want you to hear in these words a prayer for all of us, a plea from those who need Jesus and yearn for him, who fall short but trust his grace enough to get up with him and walk where he leads. As we read this, let the Spirit search your heart and heal hidden sickness. Let doubt turn to believing. 
belong again. Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's so high that I cannot attain it. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance and in your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. I try to count them, they are more than sand, and I come to the end, and I am still with you. Search me, O God, know my heart, test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. God, we thank you that you know us. You know what drives us, you know the desires hidden deep within us, and you come to meet us right at that place, the place where only you can see us, the place where only you can meet our needs and meet those longings and those yearnings. You know that we desire to belong. We desire to enjoy life as flourishing, as growth. Would you help us to see that all of that is found only in you? Help us to know what it means to belong with you, to abide with you, to be a well-watered tree where our identity is you and the fruit of our lives is goodness and truth that reflects you. Jesus, we thank you that you hear our prayers, that even when our words betray us, you know what it means for us to come willingly, that we might bear the fruit of repentance. God, would you see right now, would you point to, with the comfort of your spirit, the places we try to hide from others, the places where our true identity rests, and would you bring your restoration, your hope, would you bring joy and healing and forgiveness and mercy, we know only you are capable of reaching there, and so we come to you with openness. Meet us now. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, we all join me in thanking Caleb. We really appreciate the time, Caleb, that you have taken to take care of our community and, and to look out for us and, and just spend some time with us. And we will be praying for you and your community at the Garden. Now, before we go, let me share a few things that we have going on here at Akuho. Y'all, our dinner groups already started. The first one met yesterday, Saturday, and it was a great time. Now, if you wanted to get involved in one and you're seeing this on Sunday morning, and you're like, oh no, how can I? There's still time. Please reach out to us uh, on our office line and we can contact you immediately and get you connected to one. That number is 210-901-8785 and we will get you into a group tonight. Now, the other thing going on today is the Backpack Drive with Christian Assistance Ministry. Now, if you're seeing this before our 10 a.m. service, please bring your backpacks by the church so we can deliver them to camp. Now, if you can't bring them in the day, it's okay. But what you need to do is take them directly to camp before Tuesday. They're located at McCullough and 281. Now, we are all about community here at Akuo, and we make sure that we get that done when we hang out on a Sunday and throughout the week. 
Now, with that being said, we have our community groups kicking off in September, and we wanted to see who wants to lead one of these groups. If you want to lead a Bible study, or a book study, or a running group, or a basketball group, or a favorite Whataburger group, I don't know, whatever you want to get started, we can help you do that. So if you want to lead a group, please get signed up by scanning the QR code that you see on the screen right now, or by clicking on the links that we will be providing on our social media over the next few weeks. Now, lastly, I just like to thank you for your generosity here at Akuo, for those of you that are generous here. I just want you to know that we are doing our best to give our time, talents, and treasure to make sure that people in our community have access to those exact resources. Whether it's a single mom or uh, some, some students that, that need some help with things or whatever it might be, we want to be helping out people. Now, I also understand that the possibility of, of giving and being generous isn't the right thing for you right now. If that's you, that's okay. If things are tough for you right now, please allow us to help you out. We want to be linked to you during your tough time. So if you need anything at all, please reach out to us. Or if you know someone that needs some help, let us know. To do that, all you have to do is go to our website, akuo.church, and click on the Contact Us link. You can also send an email to us at help at akuo.church, or you can call or text the church, the number I just gave you a minute ago, 210-901-8785. Now, if you are willing to give here at the church, the way that you can do that is by going to our website, akuo.church. Now, when you get there, all you have to do is click on the giving link and follow the on-screen instructions. We also have our text-to-give option. For that, all you have to do is text AKUO, A-K-O-U-O, and the dollar amount you want to give to the number 77977. Now, if you don't want to give electronically, we also have our P.O. box available if you would like to send your gift through a check. For that, all you have to do is mail it to AKUO at P.O. box 100-125, San Antonio, Texas, 78201. All right, y'all, that's all that we have for you today. I just want you to know that I love and appreciate all of you, and we'll be praying for you now, and we'll be praying for you throughout the rest of the week. Now, before we go, just allow me to pray over you one last time. So, Jesus, I thank you for the people that you've, you've brought here to, to hear this message. I pray that as they leave, that they would lean into you, that they'd learn how to know you better, that they'd understand what it looks like to be connected to you and to see the fruit that comes through them in their lives because of their connection to you. We thank you for everything that you're doing here, Jesus. We love you. And we pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. All right, that's all that we have for you this week. We'll see you next time. Thanks for spending time with us today. You can find this message and any recent sermon available on demand at our website, akuo.church. That's A-K-O-U-O dot church. Also, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Akuo Church. Welcome to the community. We hope to hear from you soon.